Perhaps you have read in a novel, more likely you've probably seen it in a movie, where Satan, the devil, comes and makes an offer to someone who says that basically I will give you everything you want, whether it's power or fame or wealth, if you in exchange will give me your soul. And in the stories, whether it's in the novel or in the movies, the person makes that exchange. In real life, it's not quite as um, obvious. He doesn't necessarily come to you with a grandiose offer. What he does is he kind of does it in series of little bits that you don't even know because it's kind of what you want. So first, you are offered to exchange your ideals for something. Then you're offered to change your principles for something. Then you're offered to exchange your conscience for something. And then sooner or later, you don't even have a soul to offer in exchange. One of the purposes of my mini-series on no good, very bad, terrible decisions is to get us to understand that decisions can terribly affect our lives and how in each of these cases that God is there to prevent us from making these bad decisions and oftentimes intervenes at various positions to get us to not make and continue to follow on those very bad decisions. We've come to, which was going to be originally my first episode, which turns out to be my last episode, because I believe that's the way the Lord wanted me to do it, on Balaam. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 22. Now this story is both tragic, enlightening, and humorous. I have never seen anybody in Hollywood, whether it be Christian or not, to make any part of their film in this episode. And I think it would captivate the audience because I just think if it wasn't so tragic, it would be really, really funny. And so we're going to take a look at, at, at this, that what Balaam does, now God attempts to intercede And he's one of the people who have two references in the New Testament that aren't good. And so in Numbers chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan opposite Jericho. Now, this is the last encampment before Israel is going to move into the promised land. So they're camped there, ready to move into the promised land. And so there are those around, and we're going to see that they're seeing the size of this nation and their concern. And it says in Numbers, the second verse, Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people, for they were numerous. And Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. 
So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this horde will lick up all that is around us, as the ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time. And so he's concerned that because of the great number and multitude of the children of Israel who have encamped near him, he's afraid that they're going to consume everything and there'll be nothing left for them. So he hatches a plan. So he, he sent the messengers to Balaam, the son of Peor of Bethel, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they covered the surface of the land, and they are living amongst us. Now, therefore, please come. Curse the people, for since they are too mighty for me, perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that whom you bless is blessed, for whom you curse is cursed. And so he sends a group of people, a delegation, if you will, to Balaam, who's known as a man who renders blessings that occur and renders curses that occur. And he says, I don't have the ability to defeat this people on my own. So I want you to come here and curse them for me, and that will give me the ability to defeat Israel. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. And he said to them, spend the night here so that I may bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. And so Balaam doesn't automatically agree. He sees the delegation. Now all of a sudden Balaam's important because these men come from both Midian and Moab offering him money to curse Israel. But he doesn't automatically agree. He says, wait a minute, let me go talk to God and see what God has to say, which seems to be a pretty wise thing to do. And so in verse 9 it says, Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Now I always find it interesting because God asks questions that God knows the answer to. The very first message of this series was God said, who told you you were naked? And things. So he asked questions he already knows the answers to. And I think it's for a couple of reasons. One, to get us to tell the truth. And two, to get us to understand that no matter how important these people may be, and no matter how much money they have, they are nothing compared to who God is. Who are these people? Because God talking. Then Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, sent word to me. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they covered the surface of the land. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. So Balaam quotes the delegation, and he gets it right. He doesn't sugarcoat it. And God's response is this. And God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now, I want you to understand something. 
God does something to Balaam that he doesn't often do to all of us. He tells us one thing, and he tells us why. He says, I don't want you to curse them, so don't go. But the people are blessed. It is my will that these people be blessed, therefore don't curse them. So don't curse them. This is the reason. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So he complies with what God has instructed him. Excellent. So should we all do what God has instructed us to do. Verse 14, and the leaders of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak again sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. So Balak goes, well, maybe he didn't come because he doesn't think the people were the right people. And so I'm going to send really important people, distinguished people, people that say, my goodness, if, if they think I'm important, then I must be important. I'm going to do this. And so he sends out other people. A lot of times we think, oh, well, if, if so-and-so wants me to do it, then it must be okay. And they said to Balaam, they said, thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me. For I will indeed honor you richly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come then, curse this people for me. Basically, the leaders say, we're numerous, we're more distinguished, and we're giving you a blank check. Whatever you say, we'll write the check, you get it just Curse these people for me. Problem number one for Balaam. God already told him no. God didn't stutter. God didn't speak with softness. God instructed him. So at this point, Balaam should have said, thank you very much for the offer. I'm flattered. God already told me no. See ya. But he doesn't. So Balaam replied to, the, to Balak, through Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. I could not do anything other, small or great, contrary to the command of my God. Now please also stay here tonight and I will find out what else God will speak to me. So he's hoping God will change his mind. You know, and you've heard it, because it's in the scriptures, it says, knock, and it'll be open, seek, and you'll find, and ask, and it'll be given to you. And so you'll hear people say, well, just keep knocking, just keep knocking, just keep knocking. Well, if God tells you no, you don't need to knock anymore. You don't need to seek anymore, because God has already told you no. He doesn't like that answer. I'm going to go back to God. Maybe God will change his mind, because Obviously, now God knows now, they're going to write me a blank check. I'm going to get rich. God didn't really know this beforehand, but let me, maybe God will change his mind. So he says, let me go. So God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. 
but only the word which I speak to you shall you do. So it does seem that God changes his mind. But not really. Verse 21. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled the donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. But God was angry because he was going and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. Now he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. So you went and we go, well, wait a minute. Why would God be angry because God said to go? Number one, because God said, don't go. Just because God may say, it's okay, doesn't mean he wants you to go. Second, I think what's going to happen is that God knows what's in Balaam's heart. And Balaam is going to go, and he's going to violate God's command by cursing him. So he puts the angel as an adversary. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned from off from the way and went onto the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. And so the donkey goes, wait a minute, there's an angel with a sword. I don't want to go that way. I'm going to turn. And he, Balaam, tries to get the donkey back and correct him. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path on the vineyard with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. So this is the second time he's hit the donkey. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in the narrow place where there is no way to turn to the right hand or to the left. Basically, it's a one-way road, and there's no other way. It's one donkey wide. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she laid down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and strung the donkey with the stick. So the donkey goes, I've had it. I'm going to just lay down. And what does Balaam do? He starts beating the donkey. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me, if there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. now isn't it interesting? There's a sword in the angel's hand. And Balaam is talking to his donkey. Here's, here's a, this is for free. If you find yourself talking to your donkey, you've made a really bad decision. Okay? So if you find yourself doing, if you're talking to your donkey, you've made a really bad decision. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all of your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? So he said, no. Here's the second bit of advice. If your donkey makes more sense than you do, 
You've made a terrible decision. And this donkey is making more sense than Balaam. Now, I want you to notice, it was three times that the angel stood in the way. And it's three times the donkey saw him and said, I don't want any part of this. I'm saving your life. And there's three times when Balaam gets to Balak, he will seek Balaam to curse the children of Israel three times. And Balaam will bless them for three times. I believe it wasn't coincidental that three times the angel stood in the way. Each time remembering and reminding Balaam, I'm going to let you go. You better not curse my people. Because that's what you're not to do. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with drawn sword in his hand. He bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. You're doing what I don't want you to do. But the donkey saw me and turned aside from, the, from me three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would have surely have killed you by now and let her live. Caleb said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you are standing in the way against me. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. Maybe you shouldn't have gone to begin with. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but you shall speak only the words which I tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. As I said, Balaam will go, and Balak will present him so he sees the people, and they offer sacrifices, and Balaam blesses Israel. And Balak goes, what are you doing? This is terrible. I, I'm paying you to curse them, because maybe, maybe you don't understand. So he gives them a second opportunity, and Balaam blesses Israel. And he gets upset again. I was going to make you rich. I'm going to give you another opportunity to curse the people of Israel. And he does the third time, and he ends up blessing the people. I wish that were the end of the story. The next chapter in chapter 25, we will see that a plague happens because the People from both Midian and from Moab give an invitation to the children of Israel to worship their God. 
and to sacrifice to their God. And they accept the invitation. And as God says, Israel plays the harlot against them. They become unfaithful to God. As they're about to take the land that God had promised them, they become, not only do they worship these other gods, as a part of their worship, they perform sexual immorality. And because we have a young audience, I won't, but it is, it is amazing what they do. They did this because of Balaam's counsel. Balaam goes, I can't curse them because God prohibits me. But I'll tell you what, I'll give you a way that God will curse them if they worship another God, if they're unfaithful to him, if they commit sexual immoralities with your people, I don't have to curse them. God will. And as a result of Israel's sin, 24,000 people of Israel perish under a plague because of Balaam's Numbers 31, verse 16 says, Behold, these caused the sons of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the matter of Beor. For so the plague was among the congregation of the Lord. Numbers tells us now, it's after all these things happen, and Numbers also tells us that Balak is killed, and Balaam is killed. And a number of Midianite women and others and the leaders of Israel are slain for this sin. But you see, Balak was more concerned about the money than about doing what God wanted. So it, he didn't curse them. He didn't do what God, but he sold himself out for the money. Revelations chapter 2, verse 14 says, But I have a few things against you, because you have, you have there are some who hold to the teachings of Balak, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. We are told that the Council of Balaam still happens in the churches today. How people will counsel, and, you know, and, and, you know, and, and people who are Christians and non-Christians almost go, well, well, you Baptists, and you Christians believe in salvation by grace, which means you can do anything. And then we get the idea we can do anything. And then we, you know, we get the idea, well, it's easier to ask for forgiveness and permission because God's going to forgive us anyway. We act in, in indecent ways because pastors and other people tell you it's okay. Second Peter 
also tells us about Balaam. And talking about false teachers. And in the middle of that, in chapter uh, 2, verse 10, in the, the second part of it says, and especially those who indulge in the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority. Daring self-will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesty. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But, but these, like unreasoning animals, born of, as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong, they count it a pleasure to reveal in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes. Having eyes full of adultery, that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. So again, we see the New Testament condemning Balaam's actions. Because he allowed the children of God to sin against God. And it is decisions that is not long ago and far away. The book of Revelations tells us, Peter warns us to make sure that we receive godly counsel and not unrighteous. And the last verse we're going to take a look at is in 1 Timothy verse, chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. For some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and placed themselves with many. Now, I didn't say that money is the root of evil. Wealthy people can do wonderful things. But it's the love of money that is the sort of all sorts of evil. When you decide money versus righteousness, you've made the wrong thing. When you decide the temporary is better than the eternal, you've made the wrong decision. And the problem is, these are little tiny steps that we make. You know, I can put off my commitment to God because I need to finish my education. Then after I finish my education, I'll serve God. Well, you know, have a lot of bills from my education. So I need a really good paying job. 
well, this really good paying job requires me to not really be at church, but maybe once every once in a while. But you know, I think God will understand. And once I make, make, make the good money and pay off my education, then I'll follow God. But you know, the next thing is that promotion. Then I can make a lot. And then I could be worry-free about money and I can follow God. Then when you're 97 and on your death, oh God, why didn't I follow you all the days of my life? I frequently say, you will never see a U-Haul trailer on the back of a hearse that you can't take it with you. I don't care how rich Balaam became after he gave them counsel. He didn't get to live very long to enjoy it. And even if he'd have lived for a hundred years, he would have never been able to return to that place where he and God were. Can you be a can you imagine having the reputation of saying this person, when they bless? There's blessing. When there's curse, there's cursing. And instead, he decided to take the love of money and counseled unrighteous. What a way. For you see, poorest man and woman in heaven is far richer than the richest person who is alive today or was ever again. Because they will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Decisions. Very frequently, when you are given a decision, God gives you a second opportunity to get it right. Gives you his word. Gives you his counsel. He warns you. Gives you your conscience. Say, Maybe I'm not doing the right thing. And as I said, one of the ways you can make and determine whether you're making the right decision or not is after you make this decision, if you decide to go this way, will it bring you closer to God? Then go that way. If this way will not make you closer to God, but further from God, then you don't go that way. You go another way. You see, wisdom isn't necessarily knowing all the answers. It is knowing the correct destination. And usually you can tell when a job is offered to you or whatever or a situation and that causes you at worst 
is just simply stay where you are with God, then that's the wrong decision. Because we need to be walking with him every single day. Don't accept the counsel of Balaam. Don't accept other people's counsel of Balaam. Hear the word of God. Do the word of God. No good, very bad, terrible decision. And you've made, and you, you may have made no good, very bad, terrible decision. If you're listening to me today, it's not too late. Get back on making the right decision. For him. God has given you one more opportunity to get back on the road, the narrow road, the road where few follow, but it's the road that Jesus is, the road that we are to walk with him, and to walk humbly with our God. It is that road that we choose. We choose to make sure our life is built on his love. Our life is built on his wisdom. Our life is built on his counsel. Our life is built on what he says to do and not to do. And we don't need to ask it again. When he says yes, it's yes. When he says no, it's no. He doesn't stutter. He doesn't mumble. He speaks clearly. We simply need to do what he has called us to do. And all God's people said,